Uh, the title of the message is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. Who are we talking about? What does that really have to do with us right now? October 14th, 2012, Lord of the Sabbath. Maybe that was a good conversation to have 2,000 years ago. Uh, but really, what does that have to do with me right now, today, this Sunday? How is it going to get me into my pajamas and watch that movie today, right? What does that have to do with it? Well, in order to really get into what we're going to talk about today, uh, we have to do a little bit of a, of a very quick recap from last week because it really plays into uh, what we're talking about today. What we do here is we go through the Bible verse uh, by verse, chapter by chapter, um, for a couple of reasons. One big one is that we believe that the Bible... Um, is the Word of God. And we believe that God actually produced this Bible the way He wanted to, with a lot of different authors over a long period of time, and that this actually is God's Word. We actually believe that by faith. And so, when you teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, many times you're involved in a story, in a certain context. And context is everything. Um, so you want to get the backdrop in the entire context. Because otherwise, someone could certainly take one passage and take a look at that and stretch it, maybe beyond where it's supposed to be stretched. And many times that happens when you get visitors that come door to door and they say, see, look at this passage. And then they flip through their book, you know, 200 pages the other way, and they say, look at this passage. And they try and twist it to make it say what they want. So one way we try and uh, guard against that and to be balanced is to teach you the whole Bible. There's difficult things in here to address. Some questions aren't answered. But a lot God has given some revelation towards. And so we pick up in a story um, with Jesus. And last week, the message was, come to me. Jesus said, basically, come to me. You guys who are tired, you're weary, you're anxious, you're stressed. Last week we said that uh, it's been said of people that they're uh, hurried, worried, and then buried. Many times I just summarize life. You're just stressed out. There's just, you're getting squeezed. When you're in the weight room and you're feeling a little bit, well, maybe this is just my experience. You're feeling a little strong that day and you have too many 45 plates on either side and it's coming down like a car on your chest. And maybe... You've been like me as well. And you realize your spotter isn't there to help. And then you tip the weight over. And you tip the weight over and they fall on the ground. And then you can get up. But that squeezing, that weight is just coming down. It's just you feel like you just got the world on your back. I see kids walking through school all the time. Especially the freshmen. You see them walking through. And I'm always using school as an example because that's just you know, kind of what I'm in all the time. So I see the little freshmen coming through. And they got these backpacks and every single book and notebook is in there. And they're these little guys and they're hunched over. You know, with these bags and you, you know, and, and a lot of the upperclassmen and the other kids, you know, start laughing and stuff. And they did that when they were freshmen, you know. But they got the hint as far as what they could carry and what would be too much. Some of it is just not necessary. I wonder many times as far as how we look in the spiritual realm, maybe to God and to angels, and they're like, "What are they doing trying to carry that load? That's not intended for them to carry. They don't have to carry that load." It's supposed to be a lot easier and lighter than that. And so we talked about that last week. And of course, it's uh, you know, recorded like all of them are um, online on the website. Um, but it's remarkable how many people come to church, but not a whole lot of people really come to Jesus. 
we come to church, we get dressed up, we see everybody, we say hi, you know, we talk and stuff, but we could actually come to church, but then yet individually not necessarily come to Jesus. And that's what he's asking for. He actually wants us to do that. Shut off, power down, come to Jesus. Let's do that. Because he says when you do that, you're going to take my yoke upon you, which is supposed to be easy and lighter. It's still a yoke. doesn't mean there won't be any problems. But it means that we won't have to do all the heavy lifting, which is some good news. I was traveling not, uh, not too long ago. As you know, I came back from Georgia uh, with my wife. And um, prior to our little one, Jaren, uh, you know, everything changes, you know, after, after the little ones. But uh, traveling, specifically talking about traveling, um, it used to be, I didn't mind carrying, like, the bags and the luggage. Like, I knew they had rollers and wheels and stuff on it, you know, and, you know, I had the thing and took them down. I just would rather carry it, because I knew I was just sitting on the plane and uh, not doing anything. And then I was probably just in a gate, not doing anything, just sitting down. And there's just all this sitting, you know, and I, I'm just an active kind of guy, trying to take advantage of any type of opportunity to exercise a little bit. You know, I'd rather take the stairs in the elevator, you know, just, I don't know. I'm weird. That's just the way I am. So, I would just, you know, always carry my stuff. And Julia's like, hey, you know, it has wheels and a handle on it. I'm like, I know, I know. I'm just trying to, you know, get a little bit of a workout in here. Get some kind of exercise of this day of sitting. So now, the little one, is with us. The plane ride is just not sitting. Now it's a full-out workout. I have to hold him and pick him up and put him over here and twirl him around and just anything for that two to three hours just to help him out and deal with that. This is different traveling now. Right? Everything has changed, but we're talking about traveling. Traveling is different now. So now, when we land and we get all the luggage and we got this kid that you know I'm juggling and holding and I gladly take that luggage now, unlock the handle, and tilt that thing on its wheels. Gladly. I think I might have tried for maybe two or three minutes to try and carry it and get like a better workout in. And I was like, that is dumb. Unlock that thing, tilt it down. The weight never changed. Right, the weight and that luggage and everything is not changing. But as soon as I get it, tilt it out, the wheels have totally changed this thing altogether. I'm not carrying that same weight. The same weight is still there, but I'm not carrying it. Right, and that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's saying, hey, listen, come alongside me. You're weary, tired, burdened, stressed out. Come to me. It's not going to weigh the same. It's still, there's still going to be some difficulties, but it's not going to be the same. And for us that believe and trust Christ and walk in that way, it's really tough to describe that indescribable peace that comes with taking that yoke that Jesus offers. Really hard to describe that. And we try our best and we tell our friends and we tell other people and Sometimes it's evidenced by friends and those close around us. They see the way we live and what's on our plate and all the things we have to do. And they're like, man, how are you not losing it right now? How come you're not stressed out? How come you're not taking a drink right now? How come you're not on medication? 
Jesus, I'm in the middle of his will. He's given me strength to do what I got to do. Happens miraculously. So this morning, we piggyback on that conversation and some other people try to come along and try and mess with this easy burden and this light yoke. They're the finger pointers. Maybe you're a finger pointer. I don't know. But they're the finger pointers. Who's wrong? Who's right? I'm going to get them. It's like they wear a little police hat all the time. And they got a little badge on. Like, I'm going to correct everything and everybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad if that is you. But some people, that's just the way they are. They're just always looking to point out something wrong. I remember in class, there's a pretty difficult math problem. Right? I teach math class and it's on the board. And um, a particular student raised his hand. And he wasn't a, a sh- one of the stronger students. And this was a difficult problem. So the fact that he was even volunteering to help out with the problem, I was like, wow, you know, that's pretty good. He, he's feeling a little bolder. You know, he's stepping up to a plate a little bit here. He comes up to the board every step, doing it out, writing it all down, getting all the steps. And I'm like being more impressed by each line. Like, wow, that's really good. And then by the end, he nails it. Yes, you know, he got it. And so I kind of brag on him a little bit in front of the class, make him feel good. And then I got this little finger pointer policeman in the class. Mr. Murphy, Mr. Murphy. And I didn't want to call on him, you know, but you have to. You got to do it. You know, you can't. It's got to be a safe room, right? You're your teacher. You got to make it safe. So I call on him, Mr. Murphy. He didn't circle his answer. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Yes, I know he didn't circle his answer. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not a test or a quiz right now. But on a test or quiz, he needs to circle that answer, right, Mr. Murphy? Uh, It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And it's like some people go through life like that, like just nitpicking, looking, you know? And, And there's like, they're just always looking to see what's off and what's wrong. And their focus is off. And it's really bad when religious quote-unquote religious leaders or authorities carry a lifestyle like that. Because then they dump all kinds of burdens that make people feel bad and weigh them down, which is the total opposite of what Jesus said to do. So we're going to look at some of that today. Um, And really, we're going to look at three characteristics of what we're going to call, finger-pointing will give another, another name, we're going to call legalism or legalists. Has to be like this. Has to be like that. Circle your answer. So three characteristics we're going to look at this morning. And their goal, their goal is to make that yoke that we talked about, that Jesus wants to be in with us, they're trying to make that heavy, and they're trying to make that difficult. And truth be told, even if they're not around, we actually do it to ourselves. We actually do it to ourselves. How do we do that? What are we talking about? Well, we're going to see. So, Matthew chapter 12, and in the Blue Bibles page, we say 689? Page 689. All right, so let's take a look at uh, and see what is going on. Verse 1, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said, look! And you can just picture them with the finger pointing. Go ahead and point at your neighbor. Good, you can be a finger pointer. Yeah, point at the person next to you. Right, see? There it is, right? 
They're saying, look, point to them. They said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Verse 3, Jesus answers and he says, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And verse 9 it says, Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. What a way to close up that sort of day and those events. This is like the last straw for these religious leaders and Pharisees. Last straw? They healed the guy on the Sabbath. Now we need to get rid of him. What? Craziness. Insane. So, we're going to take a look at three characteristics of uh, legalists and legalism and what it does and what it looks like. Because other people might try and impose it on us, but also, we might actually do it to ourselves whether we know it or not. We could actually do it to ourselves. We could be our own worst enemy. Now, because these guys were such finger pointers and they're always looking around, their sort of method and mythology, their kind of M.O. in life was they love to major in the minors. They love to major in the minors. You might know some people like that. Where it's like the littlest things, they just blow them up to make them seem like they're really major important things. And then when the major important things come along, their world is rocked. They don't even know what to do. And then they realized, you know, how much that other stuff didn't really matter. So this first characteristic, here's what they did. They accused first, and maybe they're going to ask about it later. First thing they did was they had their finger out as somebody else. Look, look, look. That's what they did. So it says... Uh, well, let me give you a little bit of background first before I jump into that. Because they had their finger out, what were they like? Why were they doing this? Did they have any right to do this? It was actually like birthed in, in a fairly decent place. Like God told them, hey, listen, this thing called the Sabbath, you want to keep it holy, right? Fourth commandment, God told them the rest, and uh, that's what we're supposed to do. And in fact, there's a pretty hefty punishment in the Old Testament if somebody was caught not doing that. They're supposed to like take them out and stone them. It was pretty heavy duty. So God was like, listen, you want to do this, you need to have this Sabbath day. And God said, no work on that day. So the question obviously then becomes, what qualifies as work? Can I mow my grass? Can I do the dishes? Can I cook dinner? Can I drive my car somewhere? Like, what does that mean? What does it look like? And so what happened 
is that these religious leaders, they basically put together this book called the Talmud, and it describes in great detail what they could do and what they could not do. Pretty interesting stuff. Let me read you just a couple of things that's in there so you can get an idea of where they're coming from. They cannot separate chaff from grain, which is actually what they were doing. We'll talk about it in a minute. They were basically walking through the field and there's like wheat growing there. They take it and what you do is you kind of rub off like the outer shell, almost like a peanut. You know, you rub off like that outer shell, that brown, and then you eat it. So number one, you can't pick it because that's considered harvesting. Like you couldn't do that. And then number two, you couldn't rub the thing off. The thing, I don't know what it's called. You couldn't rub the thing off because that's called winnowing. So right away, like that's what they're guilty of. And that's why they're pointing their finger. Look at them. They picked it. They rubbed it. They ate it. You can't do that, right? That's work. They're violating it. You can't plant. You can't water. This one I thought was pretty interesting. You can't drag, like you'd have a chair in a field anyways, but you can't drag a chair with legs in soft soil. Again, I don't know who'd have a chair like in a field. Like, How did it get there? Why would they say that? You can't drag a chair. Because then it might actually create you know, kind of those furrows where actually you plant seeds. You can't do that. Like They're thinking of everything here to the nitty-gritty stuff. This is not what God had in mind when he said, don't work on the Sabbath. Like They're getting kind of carried away with this. You can't make piles of things. And there's just no baking, cooking, or frying. So then my next thought is that I read this stuff. I'm like, what the heck can you do on the Sabbath? Like, what is okay? What does it look like? So I read this article of like actually what you can do. And this is the 2012 version. Um, here's what it says, um, what they do and how they approach the Sabbath, you know, now. It's from a uh, Jewish woman. Uh, Friday afternoon, right, because the Sabbath is on Saturday, so they get started Friday. So Friday afternoon, and they call it before Shabbat. Ensure all work is done. Make sure all the work is done. Everything you got to do. Uh, any chores, dishes, laundry, whatever it is. Have the food simmering or plan a cold dinner in the summer because you can't heat up or like make dinner. Right? You can't do that. So the way you get around that is you create a meal, make sure it's simmering. I don't know over what and how you do that. Or just make sure you have a cold meal. Just make sure you wash your hands, say special blessing, say blessing over some wine or grape juice, you pray, sing songs of joy, Husbands are supposed to praise their wives. Children are supposed to be blessed. Have a celebratory meal. It's not really a bad lineup, right? It's probably a good idea to do some of that stuff. Supposed to pray, study the Torah, spend time with family, go to synagogue, rest. It also says, have sexual relations with your spouses. That's supposed to be part of it too. It says, do not work Walk to synagogue, no business, carry no money. Do not turn lights on or off after Sabbath as begun. And then on Saturday, the day of. So that was all taking place on Friday. On Saturday, the day of, you study the Torah, you rest, you pray, you spend time with family. And then it says, wait until one sees three stars in the sky and then do a ritual close to close it out. 
And it says that's you know fairly orthodox and there's different degrees of how they do it. But that's basically what they do. They basically hang out, uh, 2012 version, with their family, pray, celebrate, focus on God. Which seems like it's actually at a pretty good place right now. It's not really a bad thing to hang out with your family, declare blessings over them, tell them how much you appreciate them, and get to those conversations. Many times those don't come up unless we're forced to do it, unfortunately. But way back when we're reading about, it wasn't quite like that. wasn't quite like that. And so, that's why they just really wanted to accuse first and look at what was wrong with them. That's what they were really focused on. Which leads us really to our next point. The hypocrisy is really at the center. Hypocrisy is really at the center. Because why are they being so accusatory? I mean, that's what they're doing, but why are they doing that? Like, why do they want to make a big deal about this? Is it because they love God so much and they have so much zeal and enthusiasm for Him? Possibly, but it's gone to an unhealthy place now. It's gone to a place where they think that their obedience, my obedience, is more important than anyone else's. And like, I'm always in the best spotlight. Maybe do this to yourself, maybe you've done it to other people. Where it's like, what I'm doing is really magnified. I'm really trying hard to do this. Um, and I see myself in the best spotlight, and if there's any, ever any excuses, you know, I, I should definitely get them, and I can make a lot. But as far as for you, I wouldn't make you know, any excuses for you. Right? This is the root of hypocrisy. It's basically a magnifying glass on your life, but kind of like a bigger, broader spotlight on mine. And so what they did, no work on the Sabbath. Don't work, don't do it. So they, here's, they basically said, okay, we'll come up with the Talmud. We're just going to create an incredible list as far as what that means to not work. And we'll upkeep it. And we'll make sure we do. And we're going to make everybody else who doesn't feel horrible about it. And weigh them down with guilt and burdens. That's horrible. That's not at all what God intended. That wasn't the goal of it. The goal of the Sabbath was just to take some time aside, focus and reflect on who God is, what He has done, and what He might be doing. To appreciate, to be thankful. That's really the goal of it. And have the mindset of, listen, let's not log in those extra hours that I might need for that extra money you know, on that day. Let's not. Let's maybe not do all those chores that we had planned for that day. Let's just settle down and enjoy each other as a family. That was really the goal. But obviously they took it really far out of hand. And they put themselves right in the center as better than everyone else. And we say, man, that's you know not right, horrible, and we get really mad at them, but I think that many times also we could do that too. We're absolutely capable of that. To where it's a weird thing, to where worshiping God has now become this idea of just following a set of rules and traditions and whoever knows them the best, well then now they're the holiest. Those are the good ones. Those are the ones God really likes. 
And there's been, you know, extreme cases of that. Where, I mean, in some cases, I mean, there's like services, still some Catholic services done in Latin because they think, you know, that's, that's like the holiest, best way to do it. And that's like the older original language. And, but nobody can understand it and nobody knows what's going on. How's it even edifying and uplifting? It's like they're hearing Chinese. Oh, but it's holy. It's good. Just they're missing the point. And that was like Jesus' big message on the Sermon on the Mount. Listen, the outward stuff does matter. But it has to come from what's going on inside here. You have to have some pure motives behind it. Why you're actually doing this matters as much as, if not more, than what you're actually doing. So Jesus was trying to set the record straight on that. And that's where these guys lived. And it says in Matthew 16.6, Jesus said, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right? This is what they struggled with. Was this, what was the yeast? It was their hypocrisy. They consistently said, I'm so good because I do this, and you're so bad because you're doing that. And that's just where they lived. And that's how they felt better about themselves. It's really quite sad. Especially if they're using God as like a club and as like a thing to beat people down with. It's just not right. Not right. And Jesus was not happy with them. And in fact, he had very little patience for that. And he called them a lot of names. And a lot of the names implied that they're hypocritical whitewashed tombs. You know, you look really nice on the outside, but on the inside, you're just a mess. It's ugly. It's gross. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're trying to weigh people down. When Jesus said, come to me, take my burden, take my yoke, it's easy and it's light. So number one, they love to accuse first, ask later. We've got to be on the lookout for that from our, for ourselves and for others. Number two, they love to keep hypocrisy at the center where I'm better and you're worse. And then number three, everything is secondary to the rules. Everything. What do we mean? Look at verse 9. It says, Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. And the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Everything secondary to following the rules. Even the welfare of someone else. How sad is that? You'd think maybe they might be happy and rejoice this amazing miracle just happened right in front of them. Yes, thank you, Lord. That is awesome. That is great. It's amazing. How can I, like, help towards that? What can we do? No. That was done at the wrong time. It was all out of whack. It was all whack. It didn't make any sense. And Jesus even said to them, He said, listen, this ideal that you're holding them to, it doesn't even make sense by your own rules. Because what they had to do, the priests themselves on the Sabbath, they had to do work. They had to get their oxen together, they had to uh, get dressed, and they had to do certain ceremonies and rituals that actually goes against what they were telling everybody else. But they got a pass because they're the priest. They're the special people. Right? 
It's not good. It's not good at all. And in Luke 13, we actually have a phrase from the religious leaders. Here's the way they viewed the Sabbath and keeping these rules. It says, indignant, because Jesus, so they were mad, they are upset. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Can you believe it? It's a crazy attitude. What? All the while, making people just weighing them down, burning them. And that's not at all what God has for us. So three characteristics. They accuse first, hypocrisy is at the center, and everything is secondary to the rules. That's how you know legalism or legalists is at play. So the temptation now is to say, well, great. Good to know that, but honestly, some guys walking into a field, picking some grain, 2,000 years ago they got in an argument, okay, what does that have to do with me right now? Right? How does that play in? Well, here's the important part I certainly don't want us to miss. Because number one, we have to be on the lookout for anybody that tries to weigh you down, weigh me down, with more than what Jesus said. If we're feeling squeezed and heavy and weighed down consistently all the time, just depressed, and anxious and frustrated and a mess. And other religious people are like encouraging that and almost fanning that flame. That's a bad thing. We want to get away from that. That is not good. That's not what Jesus told us to do. He said the yoke was to be easy, the burden was to be light. We should be experiencing some peace for sure. But the real reason why we need to look at it and see what's going on with these legalists and legalism is because our default, us as people, us as humans, our default, our nature is actually towards rules, legalism. That's what we're like made to do. That's our default. We're actually going to fall back into that. Ourselves, we're going to do it to ourselves. That's like, that's our default. So our default as humans is towards legalism, so we need a grace alignment. What am I talking about? Much like uh, pretty much everything that we have in life, it requires maintenance, right? Just about everything that we have requires maintenance. Joy isn't that fun, right? So not only do you have to keep up with all your daily responsibilities and your family, everything we've got to do, then we've got to maintain things, and then when you don't, they break, and it's just, ah, oh, it's a mess, right? And cars is like one of those things. You have to maintain the cars. And I don't know about you, I'm sure at some point you've had a vehicle or a car that maybe didn't maintain perfectly, and over time, it starts to do some funky things. And one thing that it could do, I remember having a car... And I didn't maintain it that well. I, you know, I did the best that I could with the cash that I had because it depends on that too if I was, you know, how much cash you have and what you know, friends you might know and who of them might be mechanics. So I was driving down the road. The wheel is perfectly straight. But my car is pulling over to the right, pulling over.
pulling over to the right. It looks fine to me. looks nice and straight. But that alignment is off. Like it just keeps pulling. It's just defaulting to that. There were signs along the way to let me know that there is going to be problems with that car, with the steering. There was probably a knocking. It was feeling a little rough in the steering. Steering, uh, I don't know what you call it, a compartment right there. But it was tough to tell and I couldn't tell what was going on, but something was wrong. And it would just start to veer off to the side. But the steering would be perfectly straight and over time it would just get worse. It would just keep going off. And so, you know, then you do different things. You're like, oh, you know, on this, you know, right-hand turn, I don't even have to turn. You got friends in the car, hands off the wheel, you know, and the car just kind of goes, you know, right around that thing, you know. Yep, somebody's been there with me. So, yeah, that happens. So then what we have to do is we have to go to somebody who is qualified, who's an expert, who understands that car, who understands how that works and where the problem is. And what they're going to do is they're going to set the alignment so when that steering wheel is straight, like it should be, that car is going straight like it should be. So for us, we need a fresh picture, a right understanding of Jesus and His grace. That's the key word in all of this is the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ, offers grace. We're not going to be perfect. We're called to do the best that we can. But to start nitpicking at, because they didn't circle my answer, that's not the way this whole Christian game goes. Right? We need a grace alignment. We need that. Our default is to go to works. We might think that God won't listen because we didn't get in our 12 minutes of prayer time today. Or maybe if we tried to read today and we didn't, you know, quote unquote, get something out of it, something didn't hit us deep and profound. Man, God's probably not going to use me today. I'm not really in the right whatever right now that I should be in. That's our default. We try and do that stuff. We try and put like these limitations and rules on God because that's what we're used to. Our whole lives are brought up. You know, if there's a grading system, you know how well you do things, you know, you get a grade, you get rewards, positive reinforcement. Grace is totally different. We actually, if we're believers in Christ, we're already considered perfect because when God sees us, He sees the blood of Jesus. That's all that He sees. And if we are not Christians, and if our lives are not committed to Him, he sees our works and he says, you know what? That's pretty good, but that's not really enough. That's not what I'm looking for. And in fact, you can't, you can't pay it up. You don't have the cash for that. That's a debt you can't cover. And it's so encouraging and freeing. And now that yoke is truly light and easier I understand, man, I don't have to be perfect. Oh, thank you, God. Because, man, I am far from it. And when you see how God defines that perfect, you can even, you know, look lustfully at another one. You can't even get a little bit angry in your heart towards that person. I mean, we're talking about like, what? Not that I don't do it, but I don't even think it. Nobody can do that. 
But as soon as we get that faith, we believe in Christ. Say, God, I believe you. I don't know how it all makes sense, but I receive. I receive your perfect life from myself and faith. Right then and there. That's the good news. That's the grace that covers us. And the only way to get that grace alignment that we need, since we're prone to our default legalistic type views, we need to surround ourselves with good people that's going to help us with grace alignment. There's preachers and pastors everywhere talking about how much Jesus loves us and how to plug into Him. There's even letters. Uh, I mean, there's Bibles everywhere. There's material everywhere. There's, there's big red letters in the Bible that even say, hey, listen, here's what matters. Here's what's important. And since our default is just to kind of veer off, the scenario looks straight, looks good. In fact, I've convinced myself it's looking pretty good right now. And if we give ourselves enough time, we could pretty much justify anything, especially if we're pretty good at reasoning about it. And we could definitely do that. And it looks okay, but we need that grace alignment. We need somebody who sees the whole picture, who's an expert. And the only way that happens is if we actually let that light shine into our lives. And we surround ourselves with that light. That's what God is looking for. And so it truly is amazing grace. They were getting caught up in the minors when the majors were, all right, um, how can I go love that person? What's really going on? So many times Christians, we can like get you know, offended very easily and certainly major in the minors. Oh my gosh, you know, they shouldn't talk like that. They shouldn't wear that to church. And if they're really Christian, they wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do that. To live in that world is, is, is not a good thing. we got to think of why they're doing that. Where are they coming from? Let's take a genuine interest and go after them. Or let's maybe just like start by praying for them. God, I feel like something's maybe off. Or I don't know what's going on with them, but just start praying for them. God will change our hearts. Like that's the ways the Christians should be going about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to close um, with I think a certainly an appropriate song for today, um, Amazing Grace, because it truly is. So we're going to close with uh, Amazing Grace, and then uh, when the song is over, we'll come back together and, uh, and we'll pray.